This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you're watching this channel, it's because you don't enjoy watching the world squander what Christendom built, and you want to do your part. Today, I'd like to mention one means of doing just that. Email made by and for Catholics. Check out Fide Email. That's F-I-D-E-I dot email. Built for Catholic individuals, families, organizations, and groups. They're private, secure, and of course Catholic. God bless. Yesterday afternoon, the Vatican issued its open letter to the people of God on behalf of the 16th Ordinary Synod of Bishops. This three-year-long synod that is going to run as, that when it's done, will have run as long as Vatican II did, but is not somehow a council, despite how long it's been running. This document, it sounds on the surface like it's saying a lot of nothing, a lot of vapid platitudes about listening and discernment and accompaniment and all that junk that we're so tired of hearing of. But there's some implications, and I will go over this for you after the letter, which I have for you in full here, and it's written in very plain language because it's meant to be read by the people of God, as it quotes it. As a personal note, I find the term people of God off-putting. It's uh, definitely a post-conciliar thing. Prior to, you know, the turbulent 60s, the term the church used was church militant, as the church on earth going through the battles of this life for our salvation, whereas the church suffering was the church in were the faithful who made it to purgatory, and of course the church triumphant who are the who are the faithful in heaven. That's what the terminology we use. We don't use that terminology anymore because it's so divisive, so mean sounding. Bear that in mind while you listen to this document, because there's a whole thing about here that I find very concerning, and it's the concept of conversion. The church is being called to convert. Convert to what? The church proclaims the gospel. The church was founded by Christ on the rock of Peter. What does the church need to convert to if it was founded by the second person of the Holy Trinity? Keep that in mind as we go over this. Letter of the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops to the People of God. Dear sisters, dear brothers, as the proceedings of the first session of the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops draw to a close, we want to thank God with all of you for the beautiful and enriching experience we have lived. We lived this blessed time in profound communion with all of you. We were supported by your prayers, bearing with you your expectations, your questions, as well as your fears. As Pope Francis requested two years ago, a long process of listening and discernment was initiated, open to all the people of God, no one being excluded to quote, journey together, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, missionary disciples engaged in the following of Jesus Christ. The session in which we have been gathered in Rome since the 30th of September is an important phase of this process. In many ways, it has been an unprecedented experience. For the first time, at Pope Francis's invitation, men and women have been invited, 
in virtue of their baptism, to sit at the same table to take part not only in the discussions but also in the voting process of the assembly of the Synod of Bishops. Together in the complementarity of our vocations, our charisms and our ministries, we have listened intensely to the Word of God and the experience of others. Using the conversation in the spirit method, we have humbly shared the wealth and poverty of our communities from every continent, seeking to discern what the Holy Spirit wants to say to the Church today. We have thus also experienced the importance of fostering mutual exchanges between the Latin tradition and the traditions of Eastern Christianity, the participation of fraternal delegates from other churches and ecclesial communities deeply enriched our discussions. Our assembly took place in the context of a world in crisis, whose wounds and scandalous inequalities resonated painfully in our hearts, infusing our work with a particular gravity, especially since some of us come from countries where conflict rages. We prayed for the victims of the problems without forgetting all those who have been forced by misery and corruption to take the dangerous road of leaving and going elsewhere. We assured our solidarity and commitment alongside the women and men all over the world who are working to build justice and peace. At the invitation of the Holy Father, we make significant room for silence to foster mutual listening and a desire for communion in the Spirit among us. During the opening ecumenical vigil, we experienced how the thirst for unity increased in the silent contemplation of the crucified Christ. In fact, the cross is the only cathedra of the one who, having given himself for the salvation of the world, entrusted his disciples to his Father, so that they may all be one. Firmly united in the hope by his resurrection, we entrusted to him our common home where the cries of the earth and the poor are becoming increasingly urgent. Laudate Deum, praise God, as Pope Francis reminded us at the beginning of our work. Day by day, we felt the pressing call to pastoral and ministry missionary conversion. For the church's vocation is to proclaim the gospel not by focusing on itself, but by placing itself at the service of the infinite love with which God loved the world. When homeless people near St. Peter's Square were asked about their expectations regarding the church on the occasion of the synod, they replied, love. This love must always remain the ardent heart of the church, a Trinitarian and Eucharistic love, as the Pope recalled on October 15th, midway through our assembly, invoking the message of St. Therese of the Child Jesus. It is trust that gives us this audacity and inner freedom that we experienced, not hesitating to freely and humbly express our convergences, differences, desires, and questions. And now, we hope that the months leading to the second session in October 2024 will allow everyone to concretely participate in the dynamism of missionary communion indicated by the word synod. This is not about ideology, but about an experience rooted in the apostolic tradition. As the Pope reminded us at the beginning of this process, communion and mission can risk remaining somewhat abstract unless we cultivate an ecclesial praxis that expresses the concreteness of synodality, encouraging real involvement on the part of each and all. There are mutual challenges and numerous questions. The synthesis report of the first session will specify the points of agreement we have reached, highlight the open questions, and indicate how our work will proceed. To progress in its discernment, the Church absolutely needs to listen to everyone, starting with the poorest. This requires a path of conversion on its part, which is also a part of praise. 
I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. It means listening to those who have been denied the right to speak in society or who feel excluded, even by the church. Listening to people who are victims of dislike of the flesh in all its forms, in particular in some regions to indigenous peoples whose cultures have been scorned. Above all, the church of our time has the duty to listen, in a spirit of conversion, to those who have been victims of bad things committed by members of the ecclesial body, and to commit herself concretely and structurally to ensuring that this does not happen again. The church also needs to listen to the laity, women and men, all called to holiness by virtue of their baptismal vocation, to the testimony of catechists, who in many situations are the first proclaimers of the gospel, to the simplicity and vivacity of children, the enthusiasm of youth, to their questions and their pleas, to their dreams, the wisdom and memory of elder people. The church needs to listen to families, to their educational concerns, to the Christian witness they offer in today's world. She needs to welcome the voice of those who want to be involved in lay ministries and participate in discernment and decision-making structures. To progress further in synodal discernment, the church particularly needs to gather even more the words and experience of the ordained ministers, priests, the primary collaborators of the bishops, whose sacramental ministry is indispensable for the life of the whole body, deacons who through their ministry signify the care of the entire church for the most vulnerable. She also needs to let herself be questioned by the prophetic voice of consecrated life, the watchful sentinel of the Spirit's call. She also needs to be attentive to all those who do not share her faith, but are seeking the truth, and in whom the Spirit who, quote, offers everyone the possibility of being associated with this paschal mystery is also present and operative. The world in which we live, in which we are called to love and serve, even with its contradictions demands that the church strengthen cooperation in all areas of her mission. It is precisely this path of synodality which God expects of the church and of the third millennium. See Pope Francis's address in 2015. We do not need to be afraid to respond to this call. Mary, mother of the church, the first on the journey, accompanies our pilgrimage. In joy and in sorrow, she shows us her son, invites us to trust. and He, Jesus, is our only hope. Okay, so that document had, the first concern I have is this call for the church to convert. What does the church need to convert to? This call for conversion is never really defined, but we can, we can sort of figure that out on our own now, can't we? Based on the things that these bishops have said, and the priests who speak on behalf of the synod have said, and the things that Francis has said over the years. The church needs to convert, according to them, from rigidity, from clericalism, from neo-pharisaicalism, and to have a dynamic view of tradition, as one of the theologians at the Synod said just earlier this week, when he was chastising people for having a confused understanding of tradition. And he cited Vatican II as understanding that tradition can be can radically change. The idea that the church needs to listen, who does the church need to listen to? Why, rather, does the church need to listen? The church is the teacher. You know, the whole post-conciliar focus on materialism and the material condition of man got kicked off before Vatican II by Pope John XXIII. He had this encyclical called Mater et Magistra, 
The name translates to mother and teacher. That encyclical is his contribution to Catholic social teaching, which a lot of people talk about, but very few people understand. Catholic social teaching is a body of work really formalized beginning with Leo XIII, but there were contributions before him, where Thomistic philosophy was applied to what the, to, or as the lens of seeing the social problems in the world. At the time of Leo XIII and his landmark encyclical Rerum Novarum, as well as a few others he wrote, this had to do with like the, you know, capitalism and the hammer and sickle ideology and a few other things going on, and the church gave its advice on things, pointing out the errors of both sort of options and offering a new path forward. And this was built on by Pius X and Benedict XV and Pius XI and Twelfth before John the Twenty-Third in 1959, I think it was, issued Mater et Magistra. And in that document, he talks about the teacher being mother and teacher for the world on the social question. In some ways, it seems like this is building on that, and everything Francis has done has been building on that idea, but more so, it's a contradiction almost. Why does the church, if she is the mother and teacher on all kinds of matters, have to listen? Why is the church listening to people who do not share our faith, which explicitly says in that document? After all, we're not calling them to conversion, but it's hinting that they can be invited to the Eucharist, why are, they being, why are we listening to them? Why is the church listening in general when the job of the man the world sees as the Pope and the bishops and cardinals who work for him is to teach the faith, to teach the world the faith, to proclaim Christ, to proclaim the gospel? Why is the church listening? And then there's this part about all the people of the church that have felt like they have been harmed by the church, and these are... Essentially, people who've had their feelings hurt because of the contents of the gospel. The gospel is not all group hugs and great things. The gospel recognizes sin as a reality and how there is great hope for you if you give up sin. We're not in that business anymore, it seems. I'm not sure who the church is supposed to be listening to, according to this document. But it doesn't seem like our Lord. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments. If you want to link to this letter... I posted it in today's show notes at returntotradition.org. It's the name of this channel with a .org at the end. It's free, no paywall. You can go there. You can check out the source. Read the letter for yourself, even though it was all on the screen for you. Let me what you thought of this in the comments, please. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to sharing this on social media, that helps a lot, too. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.